Good morning, everyone. <laughs> I, uh, I was running around like a crazy person. If you're still hanging with us online, we appreciate that. Uh, the internet just stopped working at the church. So uh, just like at home, you have to go home, you have to, or you have to go back, and you got to reset the router. You know, you've unplugged things, but yeah, you know the drill. Uh, so that's what I was doing uh, during those first two songs. Um, so hopefully everything went perfectly in here, but I think I got it all back in time uh, to, to get everything going for now. So again, thank you if you were one of those folks that were trying to stick with us there. Uh, hopefully you stuck with us that second song and, and were able to, to be a part of it. Uh, I want to just remind you of a couple of pieces of paper real quick right there in front of your seat. These are so important to us. Um, this first one, this prayer card, the very first one in the list, uh, this is such a great way for you to let us know uh, if there's specific things we can be praying for as a church, as a staff. Uh, there's a, a checkbox on there if you don't mind uh, sending that out via email uh, to the church. Um, please uh, let us know that. It's such an important way to communicate. Um, the flip side of that is um, we've asked Amber, our, our administrative assistant, uh, to, to check in on those after a few weeks and just see. We'd love to have updates. Um, sometimes you guys see those prayer requests, but we never get updates on some of those folks. And so if you could get us an update, that would be awesome. Uh, we appreciate it so, so much when we know what's going on uh, after we've begun praying. So thank you in advance for doing that. The other one is just that Connect card. Um, we're going to mention that at the end of service, actually. So uh, keep your eye on that um, because we're going to talk about that at the end of service as well. All right. Thank you. Thank you. For what? Just for being here for joining us online or, or in person. Uh, it's a cold, rainy, miserable spring morning. We understand that uh, completely. Uh, but our prayer is that when we gather, uh, you walk away from this place with a little bit of energy, with, with just a little bit of life that you didn't have when you came in. That is our goal. And we know we are 100% sure the Spirit can and will provide that for you if you allow Him to. And so just thank you for that. All right, let's start off with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. Father God, what an incredible morning it is to be in the house of the Lord, worshiping with brothers and sisters in Christ, worshiping with those that maybe have questions, those that, that don't have a relationship with you yet. Father, all are welcome to come into your presence at all times, and Father, I pray that your presence speaks volume to them today, and that your spirit, unbeknownst to them, comes right on in and makes itself at home so they sense your presence in their lives. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the chance together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Has anybody ever told you something that you just could not believe? Like, like it was just completely an unbelievable statement or story or whatever else. Or maybe have you seen something? Visually, you saw something, but you just looked at it and went, man, there's just no way. There's no way that's real. There's no way that could have been built. There's no way that could have happened. It could have been something natural, in, in literally in the natural world that we see. Um, have you ever seen the Grand Canyon? If you've seen pictures of it, that's one thing. Those pictures are awesome. They're spectacular. But until you've stood on the edge of the South Rim and seen the Grand Canyon, you just look at it and go, man, that's impossible Amen. that that happened. But yet, there it is. I haven't got to see these yet, but some of you have probably seen the Northern Lights. I've heard it's just this spectacular phenomenon. It doesn't really have an ex explanation. We know what it is now, but just the visual side of it is just, just glorious to behold. Now, as a believer, I can instantly give you a reason for that. Our incredible artists, known as God, creates these things and puts them there for our pleasure. Okay? And so that's the thing. Maybe it's a man-made thing. 
I've not seen these either, but I have talked to people who have. If you ever go and see the pyramids in Egypt, you just look at them and go, there's no way. They're in the middle of nowhere. They're huge. They're built thousands upon thousands of years ago. It's not possible, right? Maybe it's ancient Rome and the things that are still standing today. Maybe it's a modern-day skyscraper. You've ever been to New York City? You've ever been to Chicago? You've ever been to one of those downtowns and stood and looked up at those buildings? You're like, how? Who do, how do we do this? This isn't possible. Maybe it's a human accomplishment of some kind. Some of you remember the moon landing. Maybe it was unbelievable. Who knows, right? But but yeah, it was there. You heard it. You saw it. You don't understand it. For me growing up, it was a space shuttle. I always had a fascination with the space shuttle, watching it take off from, uh, from Orlando, from Cape Canaveral. I loved it. I tried to catch every single one of those. That was the coolest thing ever until now. Are you familiar with the SpaceX program? If you're not, watch this video. If you have never seen one of these things happen, these giant rockets, way bigger than the space shuttle, take off. But then those things that are pushing that thing up in the air come back down to Earth, and they land, standing up. Now, the initial phases don't always go well. Sometimes they crash a lot. And that's fun to watch, too, because I'm a guy, and I love watching things explode. As a matter of fact, my wife will comment on it, because every time there's a SpaceX launch, I watch the replay to see if anything blew up, um, because that's just what guys do. But the most incredible part of this one-minute video um, is toward the end. I do not understand it. This is just separation, so those are the side boosters there on each side, and it will leave here in just one second. It takes off, and then it starts flying back to Earth. Um, it's, it, they literally just drop it, and at the right time, they kick on some little bitty rocket engines, and they stand it straight up on end, and you'll watch it fall right back to earth here in just a second. It is a phenomenal thing, okay? Whether you like SpaceX, whether you like Neo, uh, Elon Musk, whether you like all those technologies, whatever, think of it this way. This is the mind that God gave us. These are the abilities that we have on planet earth to do incredible Incredible, literally unbelievable things. Now, I think this looks like CGI, but it's actually real when you watch those rockets drop literally back down to earth just like they took off. It's an incredible, incredible phenomenon. If you've never watched it, I want to go see that live in person. I just haven't got to yet. I'm going to, though. I want to so bad. It's so cool. Now, something like, I don't really care. I'm not into rockets. Well, I'm sorry. Um, it is the coolest thing maybe I've ever seen man-made on planet Earth. Maybe it's developing a vaccine in under a year. Regardless of what you think of a vaccine, that's not what we're talking. We're talking about the technology, the minds that it took to put those things together to make something like that happen. Maybe it's something as unbelievable as the Cubs winning the World Series. That happened just a few years ago, so you can no longer say, I knew I was going to get that from Mike, you can no longer say that that's not possible, right? Because it happened in our lifetimes. Ah. Now, our real young kids, well, you may never get to see it, but the rest of us <laughs> did. It's incredible, right? Maybe it was a life event. I can distinctly remember when this happened. I was a freshman in high school. We played a freshman basketball game at Tri-West High School just outside of Brownsburg, right on 136 Crawfordsville Road on the west side of Indy. And I came out and I got in the car like I always did back in the day and I turned on talk radio just like I do today. And uh, nothing's changed since I was a freshman in high school. And all of a sudden I heard that we were at war. For the first time in my lifetime, our country was at war. It was the beginning of the first Gulf War. And I thought, wow changes things a lot. And in some regards, we've actually never left that war since it began as I was a freshman in high school. Maybe it's a great tragedy that our nation has suffered. Maybe you remember the assassination of JFK or Martin Luther King. Maybe 
you remember 9-11 or one of the infamous shootings that has taken place in more recent history. You see, life is full of unexpected, unexplainable, unbelievable things, both for better and sometimes for worse. Some bring incredible joy, while others bring incredible pain. Today, we're going to start a series that I'm really excited about because we're doing it right alongside our kids downstairs. And so just like many of you, after service, I will get to talk to my daughter, Kinley, and say, hey, Kinley, what did you learn about today? And then I get to compare notes with what she learned. This is a great chance for us as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, those of you guys that have kids in any way downstairs to just grow and learn together. Great topic for lunch today to talk about this. Don't miss this moment. Ask them what they're learning and then share with them what you are learning as well. We're going to be talking about the same topic, same scriptures in both cases. You see, every week we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the body of Christ. It is the foundation upon which everything else comes from, including and mainly our hope in Christ. Last week, we got to set aside a special Sunday that we marked as the Sunday in which he actually came back to life. We remember that day. But I want to ask you a really honest question. Don't raise your hand. Just in your mind, answer this question. Have you ever in your life doubted that that actually happened? That that event actually took place? Because like a lot of those man-made things and, and natural phenomenon, we can look at things sometimes and wonder, you know, that just seems too good to be true, too hard to believe. Nobody comes back to life, right? That's not possible, right? Well, you see, if you've ever had that doubt, you're in good company. Because for the last 2,000 years, since that event occurred, people have been trying to disprove the resurrection. They've been trying to, people have had their doubts, they've tried to find ways to express maybe other possibilities for how this happened. And the reality is it actually started that very day. They didn't waste any time with coming up with alternate plans for what really happened. Matthew is the one that records this in chapter 28 first. He says, this is after the angels have showed up. It's after the stone has rolled away. The guards were terrified. It's while Mary and the gang are on their way to the tomb. It says, while, they, while the women were on their way, some of the guards that were stood guard at the tomb reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. In verse 12, when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised the plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say this. His disciples came during the night and stole him while we were asleep. If the governor gets this report, then uh, we'll satisfy him to keep you guards out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and the story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day, and it is actually still told that way to this very day if you talk to them. See, not everyone throughout history has fully been convinced of the resurrection. The stolen body theory has existed from the very, very end, or very beginning, but the reality is there's a lot of holes in that problem. It's never been, or that, that solution, there's never been a lot of uh, credibility to it. First of all, the, the Roman guards wouldn't have fallen asleep, because if they did, well, of course, <laughs> they would have gotten executed themselves, and that is not something they look forward to do, especially they're not going to give up their life for a worthless Jew. It wasn't going to happen. That, that was not an important thing to them, and so they were not going to sacrifice their career, their reputation, everything else for a lie like that. But beyond that, how could 11 men who are all scared for their life sneak past the Roman guards, move the stone, take the body, and then lie to everybody saying that he was, in fact, alive? 
a lie, which, by the way, cost at least 10 of the 11 their lives themselves. In reality, we learn that none of the 11 actually believed that Jesus was alive themselves at first when they were told by the women. And if it was someone else who stole the body, it wasn't a very intelligent thief because the grave really didn't contain anything of value except for the spices that Joseph had left there on Jesus' body that Friday night. But those criminals did a great job of cleaning things up, getting the linens all folded nice and neat and tidy for whoever might happen to enter the tomb next. There's another group that promoted another interesting theory saying that Jesus never really died. They, they say he just passed out after the blood loss, the torture, and everything else he went through. And he was later revived after he was taken from the cross. Again, lots and lots of problems, holes in this theory as well. And the first one is simply this. Jesus was executed by trained executioners who did not care one little bit about the health and well-being of the person that they were killing. They simply wanted them dead. That was it. That was their only job. They knew how to kill people, and they knew when people were dead. Scripture records that before Jesus was taken down, that a spear pierced his side, and it was recorded that a heavy, a heavy flow of blood and water came forth. Now, that indicated one of two things. Either A, the spear had punctured Jesus' heart and the sack there around, hence the water and the blood, or Jesus' heart had already exploded, literally broken inside, and this released the blood and the water, but either of which indicated he absolutely was dead. After being taken down from the cross, he was placed in a tomb with those 75 pounds of spices laid on his chest. If you were a person that were dying, placing that much weight on your chest would, of course, finish the job and suffocate you the rest of the way. The tomb, cold, dark, sealed with a stone. If he was able to get out and back from all of that, it would have been miraculous for sure, but not as miraculous as the actual resurrection. There's a theory that women and, the Peter, and Peter and John just went to the wrong tomb. Oops. <laughs> That's hard to believe for a lot of reasons. The main reason is because this wasn't a public tomb. This was a private tomb. It wasn't amidst a whole bunch of other grave sides. Plus, Jesus' tomb was marked with that very large stone and some guards on duty as well. They certainly would have remembered it. The last, the last kind of one is, is the hallucination theory that, that all the disciples just believed so much, so passionately that Jesus was going to rise from the dead that they all hallucinated all these appearances that Jesus had. Well, now, modern psychology tells you that people, individuals, don't experience the same hallucinations at the same time, so that's not possible at all. But we also know that none of the disciples expected Jesus to rise from the dead, so that wouldn't happen. They never understood what Jesus was telling them. The Gospels also record that Jesus shared a meal with them. He ate with them. He allowed them to touch them, and that is very difficult for a hallucination to actually do. The final theory for today is just this, that it's all just a myth, a legend created by the disciples where they added in just enough historical fact to make it believable. But like a lot of the other theories, it has some major, major flaws. If this were a fabrication, if this were an invention of the disciples, they certainly would not have used women to be the ones to discover Jesus. Because in that culture, the women's news would not have been well received. They weren't allowed to legally testify in Jewish cultures. And in the Gospels, it's recorded the disciples didn't believe them. <laughs> So to use their story would make absolutely no sense. If it were a myth, the disciples would have made themselves look much, much better as they waited. The absolute certain resurrection of their king is likely somebody would have been able to create a fictitious eyewitness account of what actually happened as Jesus rose from the dead to make it more believable. If the disciples really conspired to come up with this incredibly sensational fraud, 
They did so with no personal gain in mind, but they did die for what they believed to be true. You see, some people are willing to die for what they believe to be true, but no one's willing to die for what they know is a lie to begin with. Paul sums this up very well in a letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We, we are of all people to be most pitied. Paul's rationale is very simple. If Christ did indeed rise from the dead, then there's hope for his followers to do the same thing. There's a way to be forgiven. There's a way to be freed from the guilt and shame and pain of this world. There's an eternal hope found in Jesus Christ that only exists because of this event, the resurrection, and it goes beyond the grave. But Paul also offers the countering argument. If Jesus hasn't been raised, then our faith is futile, and we're all still in our sins. So what happened on that first Easter, on that Resurrection Sunday? It so united the disciples in such a way that they then set out to make the name of Christ known across the known world. The reality of what happened empowered them to stand up for Christ ultimately until death. And see, this unification power, this idea of unity still exists within the church today as the church worldwide seeks to take the same message of love, of grace, of mercy, of peace, of holiness, of sanctification, of forgiveness to the very ends of the earth. Now, we read this passage last week. It's the first encounter that the disciples had with Jesus after the resurrection. It comes from John 20, beginning in verse 19. That's where we'll be most of the rest of the morning. It says this, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came in and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So the question becomes for you and I, what would you have done if you had devoted your entire life to a cause or a person, and just when everything seemed to be headed in the right direction, or at least the direction you thought they should be heading, your leader is falsely accused, beaten, tortured, killed, placed in a tomb, and then completely disappeared. You are locked up in a secret location for fear that those that killed your leader will soon come after you to make sure no one ever hears of him again. And then suddenly, late at night with the doors locked in a secret location, your leader mysteriously appears right in the middle of your locked up room. What would you do? What would you do? Now, I have a young lady and I have kids that watched PBS. And if you have kids that have watched PBS recently, then you are familiar with the show Peg Plus Cat. Peg has an expression that she will often use, and it is the exact expression that would describe me if I had to be in that room that night. I would be totally freaking out. 
So what would happen? What do you do? What's going on? That would be crazy. It's impossible. There's no way this has happened. There's no way I'm seeing him. There's no way this is real. So Jesus pops up in the middle of them and basically says, hey, guys, stop freaking out. It's okay. I know you don't believe it's me. I get it. Check it out. It's me. Can you imagine their joy, their fear, their confusion, their disbelief all rolled up into one big giant Mario's emotional burrito? That was not a plug for lunch, just letting you know. I can't imagine what that combination must have looked like. When that night ended, if you were in that room, what would you have done with that information? Could you have kept it in? There's no way. You would have had to have told people, one person in particular, because there was one poor man. His name was Thomas, and he wasn't there. I felt, I've always felt bad for him. Anybody whose name lives in infamy for the wrong reason, you know, doubting Thomas is still an expression. And it all goes back to this poor guy. We have no idea why he wasn't with the group that night. There's a lot of possibilities for sure. But whatever the reason, he was not there when Jesus chose to reveal himself to the rest of the disciples. So, of course, his closest friends, the other disciples and the ladies, I'm sure all, went right to him, were excited to tell him this incredible news. This story goes like this. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, verse 24, wasn't with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples went and told him, we have seen the Lord, they said. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were, unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. In other words, yeah, right, guys. <laughs> sure you have. Not funny. Not funny. In the midst of this great tragedy, you guys are going to all conspire because I wasn't at the meeting. Ha ha. That's funny. And lie to me? Come on. Now's not the time for this. I can hear the firmness in his voice as he responds to them. They're overjoyed, and he looks them dead in the eye and says, uh uh, unless I see it, unless I touch it, there's no way I'll ever believe. On some levels, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I couldn't imagine what it would have been like not to have been there, but there's a lot of lessons we can learn from Thomas. And the first one is this we've got to wait on the Lord. He'll reveal things to us in his time, not ours. And secondly, we got to believe by faith. Something Thomas refused to do in that moment. In verse 26, the story continues. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and this time Thomas was with them. Did you catch that first line? A week later. A full week went by, maybe even eight days with the disciples and the women trying to persuade Thomas of this truth. This would not have been a joke to them at this point. They would have been hardcore serious about trying to share this incredible good news with Thomas, and he refused, refused to believe. The passion that would have come out of those people as they're trying to persuade Thomas to believe. Can you imagine what that would have been? You've seen Jesus. You know Jesus, and he doesn't believe, and you're trying to persuade them. The question for us today, do we have that same passion? When we're trying to tell someone about the Jesus we know, the Jesus who has saved us, and they don't know him and they don't believe, do we share it in this same way, trying to persuade, trying to convince them to believe he is risen? He is risen indeed. The doors were locked. There they are again. And in comes Jesus, standing 
in their midst. Peace be with you. He looked right at Thomas and said, put your finger here. Put your hand here. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas responds in the only way he could. My Lord and my God, you, you're alive. (laughs) Now, I like to envision Thomas not having to ask here. Jesus comes in. He knows what Thomas has thought. He goes right to him. But I envision Thomas, when he sees him, immediately falling to his face, (laughs) repenting in a way. My Lord and my God, I can't believe I didn't believe everyone. I had no reason to lie to me. It is true, you are alive. And on a side note, I bet Thomas never missed another meeting. (laughs) I'm just saying, you never know what might happen if you're not there. Jesus went on to say to Thomas and the others, because you have seen me, you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen and believed. He looks at them and says, guys, of course you believe. Here I am. I'm right here. I'm eating food with you. It's very believable. But he looks ahead even to us today and says, hey, but I know that there's going to be those come along that haven't seen the physically resurrected Jesus in real life, but yet they believe. And blessed are those to those of us who weren't actually there to see it. Church, you and I might not have seen the man in person. Probably we didn't. But have we experienced his presence in our life? Have you seen the work of his hands in this world? Has he healed you personally? Because he has me. Has he brought you through a struggle? Has he rescued you? Has he shown you mercy and grace and forgiveness? You have a story to tell. And there are those around us, those are those, there are those watching online, there are those you work with, that you interact with every day that have questions, that have doubts. And your story might be the thing that helps answer their question, conquer their doubt, bring them to hope and peace in Jesus Christ in these troubled times. You see, there are cards on the seats around you. We really, really, really want you to participate in what we're doing there. We're going to record your story of 2020 and how God brought you through 2020, what he revealed through you in 2020. There are still people right now living in 2020. They have not escaped the prison of 2020 yet. We have the key. His name is Jesus. He will release them from that prison. And your story might be them picking up that key So will you share it with us? David will get in touch with you. Just fill out that form. Put your name on it. Just a brief little, hey, this is like the highlight of it. So we kind of have an idea coming in. And we're going to record that. We're going to put it together nice and neat and put it in a package for Sunday service on May 2nd. But we can't do it without your story. We had a couple people last week turn in cards. We did have a couple, but that's not enough. We need more. And we want to continue to use your stories. If we got 30 of them, we got 50 of them, we got 100 of them, we're going to continue to use those stories throughout the year because every one of you have a story to share. And we're not going to make you stand up in front of everybody and share it. Even better, right? Even better. Church, our faith, our belief in the resurrection is what unites us. It surpasses every single other doctrine, tradition, cultural difference that might exist between myself and any other believer on this planet. The resurrection is what makes us one in Jesus Christ. John records in his second letter, if you will, 1 John chapter 1, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands, which we have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, the life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father 
and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Church, John earlier in his gospel tells us that those outside of Christ are only going to know us by one way. Those that he desperately seeks to save, those that he died to save, just like you and I, they will know us, his followers, by our love for each other. That's what they're going to see is different about us. That's it. That's all he tells us. How we support, how our unity looks from the outside, how we encourage and help one another. The way we love and the way we care for each other. Right now, our kids downstairs are doing some activities having to do with unity and working together and how important it is that we, the church, the body of believers are connected and active within the body of Christ, the church. We all need to be a part of it. We all need all of you. We need each other. That is the reality that God has given us. Whether you're a first-time guest or you're joining us online right now, or you're a long-time member here at Berea, we need you. There are so many ways you can get involved and participate in the life of the body of Christ and help us, a body, reach out to those in a dying world all around us. This is a family, (laughs) and we've all got to contribute in the ways that God has designed us to contribute. I told you a minute ago, there were those cards, those connect cards. We desperately want to connect with you. And it's an awkward beginning. We know that. It's hard to make that first connection. But I can assure you, it's worth making that first connection. We want to meet with you. We want to talk to you. We want to tell you about the church. We're not perfect, no way, no how. Absolutely not. But we would love for you to partner with us in our imperfection. As we look for new ways, new opportunities to reach out, as we look for new ways to serve those even that are here, new ways to reach out to our kids, new ways to worship and love our Jesus. You may have the ideas, you may have the gifts, the skills, the talents. God has prepared you uniquely to serve within this body. You are not here on accident. There's no chance in life at all. You've got to know and understand that, and we need you. And for some of you, that step might be the first step. It might be accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That doubt needs to go away. We need to embrace the resurrection and submit ourselves to him through baptism. I'll say it every week. The water is 84 degrees. It's beautiful. It's lovely. Can't wait to get in it with you one day. Maybe it's been a tough year. Maybe you're just now getting back into the fold. You're just now getting back into the Word. You're just now getting back into a regular prayer life. You're just now getting back into the church. And you're like, man, this last year was tough. And you just need to lay it before God. We will pray with you today, right now. <laughs> Come on down. We'll separate right over to the side and just pray with you. That God will continue to restore and heal you. You will experience His love in new ways in this new year. Don't miss out on a chance to connect with Christ in this way. We love you so much. Even though we're just getting to know so many of you, we want you to be a part of the family of God. And if it's here that he's chosen, awesome. If it's elsewhere, that's cool too. We don't care. We just want you plugged into the body of Christ and serving alongside your brothers and sisters. Father God, as we close this portion of the service out, we are reminded of the certainty of your resurrection. Father, people have been trying to disprove it for centuries millennia at this point, and no one's yet been able to do it because it happened. And Father, we believe. If there's those among us that have struggled with that disbelief, they they struggle to believe, then Father, don't, don't allow them to handle that struggle on their own. 
I pray that they seek you first and foremost and that you direct them in the path of someone that can encourage them, someone that can help them overcome their fear and their doubt of who you are. Father, if there are believers here today that have struggled through this last year and feel that disconnect with Christ, but, but you've brought them back into this place or to join us online, then Father, I pray that they, they feel that connection with you maybe like they haven't in years. You make yourself real to them. Reveal yourself to them today. And if there's somebody here that can help them on that path, I pray that you point those two in the same direction so they can meet up and pray together. And Father, if there's those that are here that, that long for a body of Christ to be a part of, to serve in, to devote themselves to, then I, I pray that maybe this is the location. And if that's them, then maybe they come forward today and officially declare that they would like to join us here in this body of Christ. As imperfect as we are, Father, we, we, don't, we don't count on anything of our own. We just depend fully on you. You can make our wrongs right <laughs> as long as we're pursuing you. Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.